Hello, I'm Brian. I'm Caroline. I'm Claire. And this is the Computer Weekly. Downtime Upload. Hooker. Welcome back to the podcast and a very warm welcome if you're a first time listener. Um, so you find us recording on Friday the 17th of March. So happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Mm. Hope you're all filling in the green today. Don't know what that means, but seems appropriate. Of course, it'll be belated for the listeners. But um, but uh, yeah, happy, happy Paddy's Day, Caroline. Happy Thank Paddy's you. Day, Claire. Cheers. Does it mean very much to either of you, St. Patrick's Day? No. Since I was a student, when I was a student, we used to make a big thing like that. Um, in like, although my surname's Donnelly, I don't really have any Irish heritage, but we'd still make a big thing of it, like you know, spend the whole day in the pub. Whereas now, um, spending it working on a podcast. So yeah, that's how. Yeah. <laughs> so no, not so much. Um, it is my nieces. I've got twin nieces. It's their birthday uh, today, so that's probably more of a thing for me. Yeah, this would have been my dad's 86th birthday, my lovely dad. So, And he was called Patrick, Patrick McKenna, Pat McKenna. Wow. Um, what about Essex, though? Claire, there must be like half-price Guinness flowing through the streets. And... <laughs> um, well, I actually do have Irish in my blood, um, but I've never really celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Um, and I don't drink anymore, so... What no, are the other traditions? Anymore. Are there other traditions that don't involve Guinness? Well, one involves wearing big green hats. And mm. of course, the listeners can't see this, but we are, in fact, at this very moment, wearing big green hats. Yes. And we have big pints of Guinness in front of us as well. Um, well sure. an alcohol-free one. But yeah, <laughs> which aren't bad, actually. Yeah. And I'm going to be talking about Guinness World Records, so... So just so the listeners have got a bit of a clue as to where we're going uh, today, just top lines as usual. Um, Claire. Women. Every woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I recently went to the Every Woman in Technology Forum 2023, which was followed by the Every Woman Awards. It's something that we go to every year, so I'm going to be talking about that. Cool. More on that very, very soon. Um, And Caroline, the swimming pools. Yep. I'm going to talk about my uh, new keep fit regime. Oh, no, that's a different podcast. Uh, no, we're going to talk about <sighs> digital, digital boilers, um, which are basically mini data centres that are being used to heat up swimming pools uh, for reasons which I'll go into. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a brilliant new story. So more on that soon. And as I said, I'm going to be talking about Guinness. I'm, I keep almost saying the Guinness Book of Records, but it's Guinness World Records. Um, and that'll be towards towards the end of the podcast. So, Claire, can I invite you to get us going? The So, the Every Woman in Tech Forum 2023, something that Computer Weekly attends every year, if possible. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff discussed. There were so many different speakers and panels But one of the things that I wanted to kind of just like pick out of a sea of lots of different topics was disclosure. Um, And this was discussed on a panel about allyship. Um, And basically, some of the panel members were talking about how the only way, the only situation in which employees will feel safe disclosing whether they, for example, are 
part of the LGBTQIA plus community or um, neurodivergent community or if they have a health problem or anything like that is through an inclusive and safe culture um so mm. it, they were sort of talking about acting as allies for different groups and how it helps to know people as individuals in order to be a good leader and then push for kind of like that inclusive culture you can't just throw blanket policies down and then hope that they are fit for everybody in an organization okay um yeah so that was a topic that I particularly was interested in because um if people don't feel safe to disclose those personal things about them how do you help them but then if they don't feel safe you're probably not helping them does that make any sense I've babbled a bit no, I, th- I think that makes sense. And the the overall strap was what people, people, planet, progress, three Ps. Yeah, people, planet, progress. Basically talking about how um, technology is going to help solve climate change and technology is progress, but you need diverse people in order to make those two things happen. Yeah, because otherwise, yeah, it's not going to get that input from mm. the necessarily diverse um, kind of groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, when we discussed this event before, mm-hmm. in the before times. Um, oh, the before, the came, before. Yeah, you came on with this uh, March 2020 and you came along with Claire Cormack, our production editor, who went to the event. She was with I me remember. this time too, yeah. Was she? Okay. Mm-hmm. Did she enjoy it? Yeah, she seemed to get quite a lot out of the day. Um, Caroline, if you, Caroline's been with me before. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Because I was chairing a fireside chat and I was like, I don't know if I can cover it and chair it at the same time. You are every woman, but you can't be every woman at this show. <laughs> and, yeah, do everything. Yeah. Gosh, it's just too much, too much. I did, and it's always very, always come away feeling very like, yeah, I can do anything Like mm-hmm. um, at the end of yeah. it. Um, yeah it's a really really nice event and I think yeah the thing you were talking about just then like the the importance of building sort of inclusive environments for people and where they feel comfortable being themselves is kind of a recurring theme of discussion but I think it has I think it's quite interesting to hear that it seems like discussion is broadening out broadening out to include like you say neurodivergence as well as just oh how can you be a woman in the room and talk about you know, women's issue. You know, it's really interesting to hear. Like, I haven't been for a couple of years, but the conversation is moving on and sort of developing in into completely related logical fields, obviously. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's actually part of the theme of the piece that I'm writing on the event. It sort of starts off. A lot of people were saying um, they don't want to be defined by being a woman in tech. They just want to be defined by being good mm. at what they do. Um, yeah, so the conversation is definitely moving away from just a gender lens and more towards diversity and the fact that the only way to achieve that diversity is an inclusive culture where people feel belonging. Um, and then the cherry on top of that being that if people do feel like they belong and they can disclose these things and they're in a safe space, you actually get better work out of them. Mm. And they're more likely to stay, which perpetuates mm. the diversity, etc., mm. etc. Yeah. Did you say anything about how 
how you do that though because obviously you can be in a company and they'll have like oh here's our you know diversity and inclusion policies and here's our code of conduct but and that's like, oh great we've got all the paperwork but obviously people are sentient beings and they can kind of you know rule break and like not read policy documents and stuff so yeah how do you actually do how do you actually create that environment so people can feel comfortable being themselves and sort of making disclosures etc um a lot of the people on the various panels of the day were talking about leadership so um there was the point about being an authentic leader so the more that you are yourself and you show up the more other people feel like that they can show up too. Mm-hmm. Um, also, calling out stuff that's not right. Okay. Um, yeah. Because if you, you know, like otherwise, you just let people continue in a in a negative way or in a way that's not yeah. going to be inclusive for others. Mm. Um, and getting to know people as individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That calling out thing. I mean, mm. that must that can be quite difficult to do. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever really seen it, uh, um, like in a group situation in a work context. I'm sure it happens all the time, but it must take a bit of it takes a bit of courage to do that. The only example that I can think of on the computer weekly team is when I tell you guys not to just talk about football. <laughs> like, geez, man. Yeah. Half of the people on the call don't care. And then the one, yeah, yeah. No, and then someone just exit the call, just like, sorry, something came yeah. up. I'm not living my best life right now. Yeah. I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I wonder if there are any IT teams in the country where that's also the case. Mm. I expect yeah. there's one mm. or two. We'll mm. think about um, as well, like pizza and beer culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then think about the fact that in terms of um, ethnic diversity, a lot of people in the tech sector are from Asian backgrounds and a lot of people from Asian backgrounds don't drink. So what's beer going to do for them as yeah. an incentive? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was something that uh, one of the founders of Muslimic Makers was saying. It's not mm. not, not worth it for them. No. Yeah. Give me something no. else to look forward to or to reward me with. Mm. Yeah, because if that is what the whole culture is like built on is Friday afternoon beers, when it's like, well, you know, that's... You know, it's just that I can't be a part of that, so I'm not included in your culture. So yeah, so am I not part of the team? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, it it does sound like a really brilliant event. That um, I'm always very jealous that mm. the IT conferences that I go to are never as inspiring. Well, this is the thing, though, because as Caroline said, you come away from the day thinking oh I can do anything I'm powerful and then you hit the very real wall that um that's not the reality in every space that you go to no I was Um, about to say you come out the venue and realize oh god there's men everywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) where did all of these men come from even as something like you get you you leave like the hotel it's in and then you walk to the tube and you're like oh there's one standing my way even trying to get into the tube what yeah yeah it's just yeah instant yeah Mm-hmm. It's a bullying burst. Yeah, little realities as well, like the fact that um, it's a room full of women who were doing their absolute best to push forward change. But if the men who are in charge of everything don't come along from for the ride, then like mm-hmm. there's only so much we can do. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, I don't have a clever link, so Caroline, if you can take us into the world of, um, what are they called? Digital boilers? Yeah, they're called digital boilers, but they're essentially just mini data centres. So, yeah. So they're little data centres, baby data centres. This story created a, a, quite a lot of attention this week in that it was covered by the Nationals, including the BBC and a few others. And it's quite rare, actually, that you do get anything to do with data centres uh, make national news for um, good reasons, actually, uh, positive reasons. So, so this story all centres on the concept of reusing the waste heat that data centres pump out, which isn't a particularly new idea. It's one. It's an idea that the industry has really struggled to sort of take mainstream and industrialise, particularly in the UK. So if you dig around a little bit, you can find some sort of interesting kind of small scale data centre heat reuse projects, uh, particularly in Nordic countries. But for several different reasons, it's never really taken off in the UK on a large scale. And the main reason for that is because if you think of a data centre, they're huge buildings or campuses uh, full of servers and all of those servers generate loads and loads of warm air in large volume which all needs to be transported somewhere if you're going to reuse it. But it needs to be trans, um, transported somewhere quite nearby because the further the air travels, the more heat is lost um, during the journey. And the value of collecting the warm air for reuse basically drops off quite quickly. But um, in the Nordics, um, as I said, they, they're a bit more, they're just a bit better at this stuff, I think. Um, so there are places there that have got around this issue by sort of co-locating data centres at places where the heat can be, put to use almost immediately um, and now in the UK there's a startup called Deep Green who's sort of trying to replicate this model too and they're doing this by installing uh, these mini data centres or digital boilers as they're called in leisure centres where the heat can be used to directly heat swimming pools for example so they've got um, Deep Green they've got a deployment which captured the attention of the national press this week as I said um, in Exmouth in Devon and they plan to repeat this in other leisure centres in Manchester, I think Bristol too. Um, and what's really interesting about this is that the benefits of the project are actually really, really well defined and easy to understand, which isn't always the case with a lot of kind of case study stories we write at Computer Weekly. Um, not, you know, well, obviously not the ones we write. We obviously make them very easy to understand for our readers. But this one is just very like, OK, I can see the use case straight away. Um, so leisure centres across the UK are suffering um, as a result of rising energy prices. If you think of a gym, lots of gym equipment that needs powering, lights flashing, uh, you know, that sauna doesn't keep itself warm. Um, and also the cost of living crisis means that sort of people are having to cut back on luxuries like gym, gym memberships as well. So got that going on. And also just a personal observation of mine. Um, a lot of like the council run facilities have also been hit by um, kind of budget cuts as well. So they're sort of grappling with the, how do you keep literally the lights on and keep open when you're going through kind of these kind of money struggles. So this company have sort of come up with this idea that they could actually save leisure centres money by installing these sort of mini data centres on site and take out some of the some of, some of the energy costs associated with keeping the facilities warm or keeping their swimming pools warm in this case. So yeah, so according to, Dig, uh, sorry, according to Deep Green, the Exmouth project is on course to save that leisure centre about £20,000 a year in heating alone, so which is quite cool. Um, but the equipment itself, the digital boilers, um, they're being installed for free by the company. And the company also covers the cost of powering and maintaining them as well. So the leisure centres are saving money on their energy costs and they're actually having to pay for any of this equipment or anything. It's just being installed there for, well, I guess, good PR. 
Whenever you talk about how data centers are like heating up water in some way, I know that this is a leisure center, but I'm thinking of it like a swimming pool. And then I'm like, isn't that a really bad idea to have water <laughs> near electronics? Are the data centers just like in the pool? Are they under the pool? Are they anywhere near the pool? Is there a pool? I think um, I think it's very important to point out that yeah, no one's pushing like data centers into swimming pools because I think that would that would be a real health and safety issue actually. But yeah, I don't exactly understand that the whole sort of supply chain or the the chain of the process. But yeah, it's basically the the water. Uh, sorry, the hot air will be pumped through heat exchangers, which are used to heat the water themselves. So it's the servers are kept very separate to the water themselves. You don't want water damaged servers because yeah, that's. Yeah, that's going to cause a lot of trouble. Um, mainly because, like, for the I think the story we wrote, the the workloads that are running on these servers are kind of energy intensive stuff, like artificial intelligence workloads, machine learning. It's obviously doing big brainy stuff. So you want, yeah, you want to chuck that in a swimming pool because um, you probably ruin someone's research project quite quickly. Yeah, and then I guess um, imagine if you're like pushing the hot air through a generator that heats up the pool and then the air comes out the other side and then turns a turbine and then the turbine turns like a rat wheel and then that's powering a treadmill for a human yeah i think it's pretty much like that um what was that board game that was mousetrap like, yeah i think it's very much like that that's the process <laughs> yeah a little ball goes along and then yeah a net falls from the sky traps the data center man he might switch off that server and yeah that's <laughs> That's pretty much, let's imagine that's the process. That's much more fun than probably the reality of the situation. Because Caroline, you've talked about this kind of thing on the podcast before, haven't you? That sort of submarine thing or, or yeah, was that a barge or something? Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a, yeah, a data centre on a barge, um, which, well, well, that was taking the water from, that the barge was sort of floating on to keep the facility cool. But no, there, there has been stuff like this we've talked about before. Um, it's like this idea um, that, um, what is it? Like, so, you know, that you could have data centres, mini data centres like this, um, sort of installed in shopping centres. So, you know, if there's empty, yeah. so if there's empty like retail sites, you know, you could put like a, a mini data centre in there and use the heat from that to, you know, sort of heat nearby homes or maybe the surrounding stores or things like that. So, because it's this, it is it's kind of this um idea this concept at the moment that you know the there's a couple of different trends sort of coming together on this that you know we're our society is becoming increasingly digitized so you need to have sort of data center compute power closer to where the users are um for like things like smart cities if you think about stuff like that which will make sense um so so you've got that so where yeah where do you put these facilities put them in a shopping center it's empty um and also as well you know the the people running the shopping centers might get some kind of financial benefit from doing this as well but yeah it's like this kind of push to also make sort of data centers a bit more tightly woven which is a not my phrase tech uk used it um tightly woven into the fabric of society Ooh. in ways like this and that they will nice. give something back if you think about the leisure center example they're giving something back to that business um, you know, rather than being sort of sighted off in these sort of faceless industrial parks in places and all the, the heat that they generate just going up into the, the sky and slough, basically. Um, so, yeah, so that's it. So it's this kind of idea that, you know, it's, um, I hate using the word convergence, although it's the only word I can think of. But yeah, so it's like the convergence of like sort of um, edge computing, but also like sustainability as well in that this heat's being used for something. Um, and also just, yeah, societal benefits. So like I say, this usually when 
data centres make any kind of dent in national news coverage, it's because someone doesn't like what they're doing or they're the bad guys yes. and stuff. Yes. You know, they're they're either eating up all the electricity on the grid or they're um they're gonna destroy some kind of um well society some other way. So um so yeah, so that's so it's quite nice to have this kind of positive story. But also as we like I say as we've talked about before, you know, this idea of data centers in shopping centers, when we talked about that is very much a kind of, oh, this could happen. And now you're actually seeing, well actually, if you're putting them in like places like leisure centers, it's actually all like a real exa- real world example of this kind of idea coming to fruition really. And it's Which not just nice. about it's not just about heating swimming pools. No. Um no, we've written about lobster farms being heated mm. by data centers before. Mm-hmm. Um trout farms, lots of sea life actually. Done a lot of sea life. And also Do they actually, need the, to be warm in the sea. You would think it's cold in the sea. I think it, it's basically this this warm air can be used to keep whatever temperature they need to thrive and be comfortable. But also if they if they cut, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever they need to grow bigger and fat so that they can be served up in restaurants but um but yeah but yeah actually there's in that story as well um it was a similar thing about equinix in paris they are reusing oh, the heat yeah. from their from their data center to mm. run an urban farm on the roof of their data center which i think yeah, is really cool yeah, yeah that so is cool. yeah i bet their staff canteen is going to be amazing um come harvest time <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah that's pretty much what i've got to say on that but uh, yeah it's a nice it's story a farm on the roof yeah mm. Mm. it's amazing well i mean i think the because like you were saying carolina they got a lot of mainstream attention in this story this week yeah mm-hmm. um and a big part of the angle there seemed to be like heating the swimming pool getting more people swimming and yeah well some of the people like who um commented were like what's it swimming gland? i think not in our story but in some of the because they were like you know swimming pools are fine like facing this kind of cash flow crisis so if they yeah. shut down there's going to be fewer opportunities for people to swim and learn to mm. swim. Um, and that, you know, that does, has knock on, you know, thing over, if you think like, over the course of a few years, and then, you know, you don't know what the impact of that could be in terms of like, no, health absolutely. and safety. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. It'd be great to get more people swimming, really, the health benefits and all that. And also, and also, um, the more we get more people swimming in this country, the more likely we are to break more Olympic records. Yes, I could see the name. I could see it before. I could see it like building a bridge from like one piece of lumbering around, <laughs> lumbering around the corner. <laughs> Here comes the chain of a link. Um, yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, Guinness World Records. Not the Guinness Book of Records, but Guinness <laughs> World Records. What's the difference, Brian? Uh, well, they've not been known as the Guinness Book of Records for about 20 years. Um, Do they still publish a book? I know, but this is it. This, From a business point of view, this is the, the thing. They've moved from being uh, a book publisher only, like a company that publishes one book every year, um, to being a lot more. So they do consultancy and they create content as well digitally. Um, so, yeah, they've had undergone a, a business transformation. Caroline. What do they consult on? Could I phone them up and say, "Hi, I want to, I want to break the Guinness World Record for I don't know land speed. What do I have to do? Like, where's my training plan?" I'm so, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that because yeah. Caroline, you wrote about this yourself. You did a mega feature. <laughs> 
on the Guinness um, Guinness World Records. It's a really good feature, by the way, listeners, to to go back and check it out. And that was all about their their move to the cloud um, to enable this business transformation that they're mm. making getting beyond the book towards consultancy and content creation. I was going to say, in my defence, it's recently my eight-year anniversary at Computer Weekly, so I've written a lot in that time. Caroline's written eight years' worth of stories, and she doesn't need both. Yeah, I can't remember them all. No, you can't remember them all, but it's a fab story, listeners, so do go back and and have a read at that. It's much fuller than than my effort. Um, But yeah, uh, so I spoke, seems like a, a while ago now, I spoke to... Um, guy called Andy Wood, who's the finance director at Guinness World Records, uh, Oracle NetSuite's event, because uh, they're a NetSuite customer. Um, and like I was saying, the business story is them moving from being a publisher to being a consultancy and a content creator. So to come back to your question, Caroline, about the consultancy thing, it's if you've broken a record and you want to use that record in your or you think you might have broken a record or you want to break a record and you want to use that to build your brand as a part of your marketing activity, then they will, they have a kind of creative agency in-house and they will help you to do that. And the consultancy piece of what they do came out of their adjudication. So they have these adjudicators that wear these special jackets, they're quite snazzy. Um, and they come along to record-breaking attempts and they will, you know, verify the record and stuff. Um, so, yeah, the consultancy business really came out of the adjudication process. Um, you know, you might think you've got a record and you haven't, and they'll say, no, we can't help you. It has to be a record for us to help you. So that's that's the way they do, they do that. Um, but, yeah... Uh, they're now very globally spread as well. They've got offices in Dubai, Beijing, Tokyo, and London and New York, which they traditionally would have had as a publisher. Um, and the, the content piece is a bit more recent. I mean, obviously, they have their YouTube site and they have social media presence galore. Um, and they, uh, they also do a TV show on Italian television. Uh, which is called Lo Show Day Record. I'll just translate that for you. The That's record show. The show of the records. Oh. <laughs> That's six years of Italian night classes. I've right been to there. Italy a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there used to be a British TV show, uh, which you're probably both too young to remember. But it's a big part of children's television in the 1970s. Oh, record breakers with Roy Castle. Oh, you remember it? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. 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 We're up in the 90s. It was still on. It was, was right. It? Uh, yeah. They didn't close it down until 2001, I think. Hmm. That details in my piece. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I've been saying and kind of writing about this and saying, oh, I remember it's a children's TV show in the 70s, but. I don't remember it that well, but what I do remember quite well is the two twins, uh, Norris and, and Ross McWhorter, who, you know, they were on the show with Roy, Roy Castle and they would answer questions from the audience about records and they knew everything there was to know about these <laughs> records. It was amazing. Um, 
But partly I remember that just because they were tw identical twins. It's quite an interesting phenomenon to see two identical human beings talking about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Hmm. But that's, I... that's, that's the thing that I most remember about it, though, was the pair of them saying stuff. They were originally sports journalists and they used to provide kind of facts to Fleet Street newspapers and things like that. And they and that's how they got kind of talent spotted as as the, the potential kind of developers of this concept of having a, a you know a book of records. But the, the, hang on. The twins were originally sports journalists. Mm-hmm. Were they paid separately or did they have the same job? Like, what does that even mean? They were individually journalists. Okay. You made it sound like they just, they're like Jedwood, you know. <laughs> Maybe they were the Jedwood of their day. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, one of them was very, very tragically assassinated by the IRA, so there's only one of them. Oh, why would you bring that up today on St. Patrick's oh. Day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a fact. It's a fact. Um, well, you can't mention Jedwood's St. Patrick's Day and then someone being assassinated by the IRA all in the same sentence, Brian. What a downer I, on the end of the podcast. It's yeah. not quite the end of the podcast, though, Claire. There's plenty, oh, so plenty to go. Plenty to go. I'm like, on that note, <laughs> I can't take any more. Uh, but it's also interesting for animals because... Um, you know, we've got humans doing these mad things to get records, but they also have like the oldest dog in the world and so that kind of thing, aspect right. of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I sent you both that link about the the, the, the longest um, conga line of dogs. Yeah, they, it I, does I did seem think like that they would do appeal. get some very high brow records. To Caroline. It did, it did. Like I say, it's just kind of, I do, but it does kind of bring to mind like the, their offices like you've got like someone's hi i've just like broken like say the world land speed record wow amazing and then you get another call hi we've just broken like the world record for the conga line the longest like, give that to give that to clive like okay cool then i would go straight on a tv show though i mean that's that's gold yeah but also how do some of them i just don't know how they can possibly verify them Trust. Just believe me when I say my dog yeah. is 105 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they can't carbon date the dog. Mm. They did have the oldest dog recently. He was 30 years old. How, how old is that? Like human. So it's about seven years or something. Is the, yeah. That's so, so a ratio. Very old. That's a very old dog. Mm. That is a. 210 year old dog. He's 210 oh. years old. I mean, that's some effort yeah. to reach it, well, that age. Is it though? Did he do anything? Yeah, yeah, I mean, people theory. just exist. People just exist and then they die. It's not like the dog's got, you know, like he's like, oh, I'm going to eat well and go to the gym. He's not done anything. He's like, yeah, if it's anything like most of the dogs I know, I've got very pampered upbringing. Like, if anything, mm. more of them should be living this long because they don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and to know. be honest, at this point, he's probably wishing he'd end. Yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. Two hundred and ten. He's seen it all too much. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I don't know. I thought that was a good effort for that dog yeah. to reach that age. Um, but yeah, like you say, Claire. I mean, always seen, he's always done his exhaust. So yeah, yeah. Mm. Would either of you like to break a record? Mm. If so, which record would you like to break? It's not. It's not so much which one would I like to break. It's more of a case of which one do I have the skills to break, and they're quite different things. I think mm. probably competitive eating would be easy. Something like that. But I mean, again, I could have break the land speed record. I'm not going to be tr- like troubling like Usain Bolt or any of those guys with anything like that. Any kind of athletic feat? Nope. Um, the, this is the thing. I you, mean, Claire? in the same way that I'm like, why go to space? I'm like, why bother doing most of these things? Like, what is the point? You know, I've yeah. got, I've grown my hair. Exist. Yeah, I've got my the world's longest hair. Why? You know, oh, I ate the most hot dogs of all man. Like, why? Why have you done that? Because you're not comfortable or happy about it. It's actually taken a lot of pain and time. For what? And it's so precarious because you just need someone to come along and eat one more hot dog than you. Right. And you've lost it. (laughs) Yeah. I've got to do it all again with one plus one, another hot dog, if I want to keep this title. The one thing I'm known for. Yeah. And like, oh, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. Like, it's not even special anymore. Why? Loads of people do that. Mm-hmm. And you get to walk past all of the uh, the people that have died. Because yeah. it's dangerous. Why? Stop it. Yeah. I think that's that's very convincing, Claire. I'm, I'm completely convinced by your... Uh, <laughs> Everyone just stops. Skeptic about these, these mad achievements that these people want to want to try and know. Um, it does it does come full circle back to what Claire said about the dog because you could do all this stuff like you know travel halfway around the ro- the world, knack yourself up walking up a mountain. This dog has just got one for just <laughs> exactly. staying alive. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Keep breathing, you're gonna get a record. For, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, great. look at who Fine. you're held up alongside a dog <laughs> yeah. who's done nothing. Or a load of dogs who are just really good at organising themselves into a conga line. Yeah, exactly. They probably didn't. Even, they didn't even know what was going on. What was the no. point? Yeah. No, they would have had no. They would have had no clues to what they were enlisted in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did, they, been, did they consent? Did they might, they yeah, I was going to say they might be morally opposed to congas, and you forced them into this. Just mm, exactly. <laughs> no, this will go down really well with the kind of brand management team. <laughs> World records. Thanks a lot for that, Brian. Sorry, guys, but I did write a really good piece on you several years ago that I don't quite remember, but yeah. Yeah, well, you know. That's our Guinness Guinness sponsorship is right down the tubes as well. I never asked for it, Brian. Yeah. (laughs) You can take your imaginary green top hat. (laughs) And shove it. Yeah. Shove it where the, the sun don't shine. Yeah. How, we as Computer Weekly, though, we are the proud bearer of a Guinness um, World Record. Our oh. oldest tech publication. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, well, oh, that's a good oh. point because yes, we are the oldest weekly um, tech publication in the world, but we've never had that adjudicated. <sighs> we've not had one of the people with the snazzy jackets coming along to to verify this. So what is our world record? But our record is we have the, the longest running um, puzzle in a weekly publication or something like that. Anyway, uh-huh. was, yeah, we used to do a puzzle. Um, it was called The Puzzler. Uh, it's a gentleman called Jim Housen did the Puzzler uh, column for us. And it's, it was the longest running weekly puzzle column. 
and we got the record for that in 1999. Has it been defeated? Because I'm sure it's like Since there are then, books dedicated to puzzles now. Does that count? Uh, well, if it, it may have been defeated, I don't know. You're reaching the, the limits of my knowledge of um, Guinness World Recordry here. Um, yeah, you but know. In, but like in, 19, in 1999, we did have that official record. Mm -hmm. so, I'm not sure when you said Computer Weekly had one for something long running. I thought Cliff's name was going to come up somewhere. It's like probably like the the longest running IT journalist in the business. Mm -hmm. For one publication. Years. Yeah. Yeah. What's that in Doggies? That was for the Puzzler. It sounds like a kind of Batman character. Yeah. The Puzzler. Um, yeah. But we don't run the puzzler anymore. Um, no. We we put an end to that column. I think that you know, the editor who was responsible for the termination of the puzzler shall remain nameless. Was it you? It might, <gasps> it might have been. Brian, did you end the puzzler? <sighs> it had a stay. Batman baddie kind of like ended the puzzler. Like, whoa, oh, yeah. and then crime in Gotham City just dropped straight down. Yeah. Well, no, maybe it went up because people had nothing to do because there's no puzzles no more. Yeah. Gosh. Tricky. See, see what you've done? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, well, that's our that, that's our um, our claim to fame on that on that front. Um, I think as I was intimating, I probably reached the end of my tether, which was with respect to the Guinness World Records. So. Okay. Uh, um, but, th but thank can I just say thank you very much though to to Andy Wood for for talking to me at um, Sweet World and it's very interesting. It's also from a business point of view very interesting the way they've gone from just being a book publisher to being more than that a consultancy mm. and uh, digital content creator. So that's that's brilliant. It's really brilliant. Mm -hmm. Did you talk to him about any tech? Yes. Good. What's what your other tech story? I'm sure that they can read the tech story. I just sort of wondered if you'd forgotten what we do. No, no, no. I said at the <laughs> beginning just, at the top really of the. Really wanted to reminisce about world records, Guinness world records. Yeah. Well, we are the we are the podcast that we are. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. as, as I said, at the beginning, they, are, they are a NetSuite customer. Mm. So they're using um, NetSuite software as a service ERP for their finance function. Cool. And it helps with uh, the diversification of their business because they've gone from being quite a simple business with like one book going out to the uh, same number of retailers every year to being a much more diversified business. and. Uh, with lots of different projects and 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 so on. So NetSuite helps with all of that. That's where NetSuite comes in. Cool. Um, and yeah, we'll link to that story and to Caroline's earlier feature about about the same organisation. Very similar story. Um, and to all the other stories that we've mentioned uh, today in the article that goes with the podcast. Um, which you obviously can read on computerweekly.com, but you know, can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and Amazon, all of our big tech pals. Uh, just remains for me to say, uh, uh, on my behalf and on behalf of the listeners, thank you so much to Caroline. You're welcome. 
And thank you so much to Claire. Anytime. And thank you to you so very much, listener, for listening to us. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.